0: Welcome to episode 61 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to share with you a recent sermon I gave where I revealed several amazing Christophanies throughout Scripture. Let's dive in. This past Sunday, I had the amazing opportunity to to fill in the pulpit at my church. And since I just got back from Israel about a month ago, I was asked to kind of walk through the land of Israel and reveal Jesus Christ. Now, it really is one of my all-time favorite topics of looking and seeing Jesus throughout the entirety of Scripture. Well, the sermon was a little bit long. It's about an hour and a half long. So what I decided to do over these next couple of weeks is to share a portion of the sermon with you. So today we're going to listen to part one of three on this idea of Christophany. And again, a Christophany, I'll explain it in the sermon, but it's basically this idea of seeing Jesus throughout the entirety of scripture. And in today's episode, we're going to look specifically at the very beginning of things in the book of Genesis, as well as talk about this idea of the rock and how Jesus was a carpenter. Now for note... I showed several pictures throughout the sermon, so if you'd like to download a PDF version of the sermon notes or of the slides that I shared, you can find those and all the details in an outline in the show notes for this episode. You can download that by visiting deeperchristian.com forward slash 61 for episode number 61. Well, without further ado, here is part one of the sermon on the delight of discovery. Good morning delightful to see you all. Isn't Jesus good? Oh, I love Jesus. Uh, so a month ago, I, was, I had the wonderful opportunity to be in Israel, and it was fascinating. When I got back, we were talking as a, as a leadership team, and, and Eric says, wouldn't it be fun for you just to show Jesus from the land? And since the opportunity presented itself, that's what we're going to do, uh, which I'm really excited about. It actually was a wonderful week as I was preparing. It just felt like a worship service to me, In that, I love beholding Jesus. And my desire this morning is that we would just open the Word and just behold Him. And that the time of worship we've had, we just continue as we just get into the Word. Isn't that neat? So, I'm going to talk about a Holy Land Christophany. And just to kind of set the stage, just to remind everyone what a Christophany is, basically, Christophany is the idea of seeing Jesus in the Bible. And you recognize that this entire book that God has given us is a revelation of a person. That whether you want to start in Genesis 1-1 or go all the way through the maps, it is a reflection of Jesus himself. Isn't that beautiful? And uh, one of the greatest things that I've been doing, I just one of my greatest excitements, is just seeing Jesus afresh, specifically in the Old Testament. Whether it be through signs or shadows or, or stories or the geography, I love seeing Jesus come alive through the Word. It's like God has purposely hidden Jesus all over the place to say it's all about Him. It's all about Him. By the way, it's about Him. Hey, do you know what you're doing right here? That's going to be about Jesus. And everything that's going on in the Old Testament is a visible, physical expression in the external pointing to the inward reality, which is Jesus Christ, which is so phenomenal when you begin to see it. Uh, So this is, I'm just so excited. So talking about Christophany, listen to this. When we're talking about a Christophany, Christophany, what we're saying is that the entirety of Scripture is a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ and his incredible work upon the cross, not just in the symbols such as the Ark of Noah, the manna, the rock in the wilderness, the tabernacle in the temple, the high priest, and the king of Israel, but also in the themes, the circumstances, the characters, the stories, the literary styles, and the geography. Jesus is the histories of Israel reenacted in a singular human life. He is the law of God incarnate. He's the Proverbs, the wisdom come to life. He's all the prophecies fulfilled. He is the Word of God made flesh. Which is why when you, can, when you come into this book, you can see Jesus. Whether it be in Genesis, all the way through the maps. Which is just fun. So, Again, as I mentioned a month ago, uh, me and 33 other people got to go, and we were walking the Holy Land. And by the way, I know I'm biased, but you need to add this to your to-do list at some point uh, in the near future. And the the reasoning is is I've always assumed, okay, if I'm going to walk the land, yeah, it'll be really neat. I can stand where Jesus stood. I can see the different sites. But when I first went, it was so amazing that I, I was getting into the book, and as I'm reading certain passages at the location of where they happened this thing took on a whole new life. And it's like I began to read it in living color. Because it wasn't just text on a page anymore, it's like, whoa, that happened right here! And it started to make sense, because, oh, when you look over there, oh, I, I see that, and oh, I see that, and no wonder they did it this way, because that's the only way they could have done it. And you get to start, it starts putting itself into context, and it's really beautiful. So what I wanna do is, I wanna walk through several places, I wanna walk through several passages in Scripture And just say, Do you see him? Do you see Jesus? Did you just see how God has really taken the text, taken the festivals, taken even the geography, and made it all proclaim Jesus Christ? In fact, I I didn't put it in the notes, but I think it was Jerome or somebody back in the early, early church fathers who said that the land of Israel is the fifth gospel. Meaning that when you look at the land itself, it literally is a declaration of the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that neat? I want to talk about that. Interesting thought. In Isaiah, God makes this declaration. He says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. You transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring, think about it. this is what God does. He declares the end from the beginning. In other words, he says, you want to know? Why I am God, you want to know one of the reasons that you can only prove and test that I am God? I'm going to declare the end in the very beginning. That when you look at the very beginning, I'm not going to hide things from you. I'm actually going to tell you what's going to come. And when it comes, you'll go, he's right. Therefore, he's God. Isn't that awesome? So he says, here I am. I'm God. There is no other like me. I declare the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Now, it's interesting. That word beginning there is the exact same word in Hebrew that we get in Genesis 1-1. And he says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which I presume you know. (laughs) If not, you need to sign up for the discipleship school. Uh, But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this this has been a recent epiphany for me. In fact, it just came out this last week in some study, and I was like, this is sick, in, in a good way. This is, like, amazing. Uh, this, is, this is phenomenal. That word beginning in, in Hebrew is bereshit. And, and by the way, you read Hebrew right to left, so it, it, it's from here, ber, that's the bet, whoops. And then you read it this way, bereshit. It's the word beginning. And what's really amazing, and, and Eric's talked about this before, but, but in ancient Hebrew, when you look at the original Hebrew, it was all, like, pictograph kind of stuff and each letter had a picture, and you can figure out a lot of Hebrew words just by their pictures. Isn't that neat? Now, it's interesting when you look at, and I don't want to get, I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it really is, but when you look at this word, Bereshit, in the symbols, it's really fascinating to me. Look at this. Uh, Those are the symbols, okay? It's the house, the sun, or the head, the strength, the ox, uh, whatever that one is, the hand and the cross. Oh, it's destruction. That's what that one means. Uh, So, when you put all these together, the word beginning, think about this. If you just looked at the pictures in Hebrew, what it would say is the Son of God is destroyed by his own arm or his own work on the cross. Isn't that interesting? That the very first word of Scripture, beginning, and by the way, that's the first word in, in in the Hebrew Bible, beginning, beginning, God created. That the word beginning, even in that word itself, it says Jesus. Do you see that? Isn't that awesome? That's so cool. Now, what I learned from a Hebrew scholar this week, which was like the, whoo, that's really cool, is that the word bet, this one right here or this one right here, can also be a preposition, which means through. That's that's how you can use it. Bet means through. And reshit doesn't just mean a beginning. It can also mean firstborn. So think about this. This is so crazy to me. You can translate this word, bershit, as through the firstborn. So let me read the passage to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or through the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that good? None of you are impressed, but I think that's awesome. That seriously is amazing. Now, to take that one more step further, which is just, I love this. This is so neat. There's, these, there's this word in Hebrew that's not translated in Genesis 1.1. And you'd have to say, why isn't that word translated? Well, and the reason it's not translated is it makes, it's not a word. It makes no sense. And where it is, it's in the beginning, God, and then you have these two letters, Aleph, Tav, created the heavens and the earth. And again, you read it right to left. This is the Aleph, that's the Tav. And so there's this word in Hebrew that's not translated. So in the beginning, God, Elohim, the Aleph, Tav, created the heavens and the earth. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense in our context here, but let me explain what the Aleph and Tav is. Aleph happens to be the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And if you go to the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, it's the word, or it's the letter Tav. Now, it would be like us saying A Z. In the beginning, God, A Z, created the heavens and the earth, which doesn't make any sense. If you saw it in Greek, though, because you've heard the Greek thing before, it would probably make more sense. In Greek, the first letter is Alpha, the last one is. Omega. Do you know what this is saying? Think about this. This is so crazy. In the beginning, God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Aleph and the Tav, created the heavens and the earth. Do you know who the Alpha and the Omega is in the book of Revelation? (laughs) I'm glad someone got it. So Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Do you know who's speaking forth creation into existence? Jesus. So here's Genesis 1.1, and if I can use my uh, amplified version. Through the firstborn, God, the Aleph and the Tav, or the Alpha and the Omega, created the heavens and the earth. Do you realize that bespeaks of Jesus? In fact, when you look at Colossians, that's what Paul said. He said, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Jesus, is what Paul says. And for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. John 1 says, hey, in the beginning was Jesus, the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was Oh, Sorry, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. Could you imagine? Here's the triune God. He wakes up one morning and says, oh, I'm gonna make a world. And he speaks forth creation into existence. Paul says, you know the one who is speaking? Jesus. Why did he, why did he speak? For himself, for his own delight, for his purpose and, and for his plan. And through the firstborn, the Alpha and Omega created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that beautiful? I just sit back and go, God is so brilliant. And he declares the end from the very beginning. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Who is the word of the Lord? Jesus. And it was by Jesus that the heavens were made. So beautiful. Think about this, to add another layer to it. Do you recognize that Jesus was a carpenter? In fact, it's, it's interesting in Matthew 13, 55, uh, they're, 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 they're accusing Jesus and they say, is this not the carpenter's son, speaking of Joseph? But in the Mark passage, they actually just say, is this not the carpenter? Hey, is this, hey, Jesus, is he not the carpenter? In other words, what they're really saying is, <laughs> you call him a prophet, you're calling him the Messiah. But he's just, he's just this low down, this just, he's just a carpenter, just a really low, I mean, just, I mean, there's, I mean, carpenters. I mean, seriously, who would want to be a carpenter? I mean, they're just, and I'm not dissing carpenters, my dad's a carpenter. But, I mean, hey, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a low-end job in a low-end town. I mean, who would want to be a carpenter from Nazareth? Nobody. But what's interesting is we mistranslate that word. Because I don't know about you, when I think carpenter, I think wood shop, wood shavings, smell of oak. I mean, just, oh. Yeah, carpenter. But that's not this word. And the reason why I know that is because if you go to Israel, there's no trees. I mean, there's some bushes and some shrubs, and there's a couple trees, but we're not going to cut them down to build a house because we need those ones. (laughs) Those are our only trees. So, hey, you don't, when you do carpentry stuff, you don't, it's not wood. Do you know what it is? Stone. What's interesting is that word that we translate carpenter, it's the Greek word tecton and it actually just means it's a stonemason. It really means a builder, it's an architect or a craftsman. And if you look around Israel, you there has anybody been to Israel by the way? You go to Israel, you look out, do you know what you see? Rocks. <laughs> I mean, rocks everywhere. I mean, I spent about a decade in the South, and it was interesting, they don't build basements in the South, and the reason they don't build basements is because you go about a foot down, it's like, it's already rock, we're not digging it, and you look out in the fields, and you'll see all these rock walls all around the fields, why? It's because as we're tilling in the ground, guess what we till up? Not food, we till up rocks, so we got to do something with the rocks, so we take the rocks and we put it on the wall, so there's all these beautiful rock walls all over the place, why? Because the ground is full of rocks, that's Israel, and if you look, no matter where you go in Israel, there's like rocks, 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 So guess what they used to build their houses with? Rocks. So Jesus, when we think carpenter, we're not thinking woodworking here. He's actually a stonemason. He's working with his hands. He's carrying heavy boulders. He's building houses. He's doing architecture kind of stuff. This is some old ancient ruins. These are houses. This is what an inside of a house would have looked like. They use rocks. And that's what Jesus was. He was a tecton, he was a stonemason. Here's a question for you, why rocks? You realize over and over and over in scripture, rocks are mentioned. God says, I am your rock. And it's like he put a whole bunch of rocks all over the place to say, I don't want you to forget it. (laughs) Just look anywhere, there's rocks. Why a rock? Do you realize that rocks symbolically It's a reminder of where you find foundation, strength, your immovability, your defense, your means of safety, protection, and refuge. Think about this. God gave the Israelites a constant reminder. No matter where they looked, they would see rocks. And he would say, see that? That's me. I'm immovable. I'm unshakable. I am your refuge. I am your defense. In fact, isn't it interesting that dozens of times throughout the Old Testament, a rock... Is given as as a name to an individual, but it's never a human. A rock in the Old Testament only ever describes one person. His name is God. Listen to some of these Uh, Deuteronomy 32 He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are just. He is a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. For Samuel, there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. 2 Samuel 22, David declares, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength, which by the way, that word means rock. Isn't that, isn't that neat? So the Lord is my rock. He's the God of my rock. It's beautiful. In whom I trust He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my fortress and my sanctuary, my savior. You save me from violence. Why? Because he's a rock. Psalm 18, who is God except the Lord? Or who is a rock besides our God? Over and over and over in the Old Testament, God says, I'm a rock. I do not change. I do not alter. I'm your foundation. I am your refuge. I am your security. I Hey, you are to be immovable. Why? Because you are to build your life upon a rock. Isn't it interesting you move into the New Testament and the one who was given that same quality is Jesus. Ephesians, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on a foundation. What's the foundation? The apostles and prophets. With Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And did you know that in that culture, that if you removed a cornerstone, the entire building would collapse? Do you know what all of this is being built upon? A rock. Do you know what your life is to be built upon? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount? A rock, not shifting sand. Why, because he himself is the rock. So it's really interesting to me if you go up to Caesarea Philippi. Now Caesarea Philippi is the very furthest part north you can go in Israel. Now if you go up to Caesarea Philippi, there happens to be this beautiful little old town now, let me just give you some quick background. It'll help make this sense. So Caesarea Philippi stands in a lush area near the foot of Mount Hermon. So Mount Hermon is way up north in, in Syria area, and the water from Mount Hermon flows down into the Jordan River, goes to the Sea of Galilee, and then goes down to the, goes down to the Dead Sea. So it's the main water source uh, of, of all of Israel. Now, after the death of wicked King Herod, his son Philip the Tetrarch renamed this city after, him, after himself and Caesar Augustus, hence Caesarea Philippi. Uh, And and it was Caesar Augustus who originally gave the area to King Herod. Now, I don't want to disturb you, but just think this through. This town, Caesarea Philippi, also known as Banis or Panis, was the northeastern area of Israel, and it became the center for bell worship. And eventually, the worship of bells was replaced with the worship of the Greek fertility gods, such as Pan. All right? That's what it looks like. So this was, this was the old, so there's this huge rock. There's this little opening cave area. And this was Caesarea Philippi, also known as Banis. And what's interesting is right here where this cave is, do you know what that cave is called? It's literally called, from ancient times, the Gates of Hades. And what was presumed is that uh, the, the fertility god Pan would go, you know, he slept somewhere down into the you know, earthen regions, and in the springtime, oh, we got, to, we got to awaken, we got to arouse him from his sleep. And so we would do all these occultic stuff so that he would wake up. Now, uh, so again, this cave is referred to as the Gate of Hades. It's the location where Pan and other fertility gods live during the, during the winter, sorry, not winter, but winter before reemerging in spring in order to entice the gods' return that people would often engage in prostitution, bestiality, and the like. It was detestable. I mean, it really was the most, it was a red light district, if you will. And uh, so here's what it would have looked like here's that huge rock, here's that little cave right there. Here would have been a little uh, temple to pan, and they would have had this little, all the little festive things here. Isn't it interesting that Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi? And this is where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter, at the temple of Pan, I'm not saying anything about Peter Pan, but Peter at the temple of Pan, (laughs) which is ironic if you think about it. Peter at the temple of Pan says, you are the Messiah. In fact, let me just read this to you. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? the son of man, who do, sorry, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Isn't this an interesting story? And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Think about this. Jesus comes into this region. It's a red light district, it's, it's Las Vegas times two, it's, it's Amsterdam, it's just, it's just it's filthy, all this stuff is going on, and all these occultic rituals are happening, and, and it's in the middle of that pagan, just, uh, society, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, who am I? And I says, well, here's been the rumors, he says, okay, that's great, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, you know, he's a spokesman, he stands up and says, hey, I've got this figured out, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, oh, You're right. Peter, Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter. Do you know what Peter means? Yeah, it means rock. But what's interesting is that in the Greek, it doesn't just mean rock. See, somehow the Catholic Church got off on this. Because it says, Oh, well, yeah, you know, Peter, he's the first pope. Why? Because he got, Jesus is going to build the church on Peter. That's not what it says. Peter, in, this, in, the, in the Greek, actually means little pebble. Little stone. This is, this is my rock from Caesarea Philippi. And all over Caesarea Philippi, there's a whole bunch of little rocks. And it's like Jesus says, Peter, well done. Great answer. You know what you are. You're a little pebble. Yeah. Yeah, you're Peter. You're a rock. Think about this. And he says, upon this rock, he uses a different word. And it literally has this idea in the, in the context of on this truth, or on this declaration, or on this solid foundation. Well, what's, what was the truth? What was the foundation? That you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Think about this. All they could see is a triumph of godlessness. All they're seeing is all the junk of the world. All they're seeing around them is just pollution. And do what Jesus says, in the middle of that culture, in the middle of that time, he says, do you know what's happening here at this, at this cave entrance? Hey, that will not prevail. Hey, look around your culture. It does not matter how sick and depraved your culture is getting. Why? Because it has nothing. It has no power. It has no authority over the living God, which is encouraging for today. And he doesn't, do you not realize that he's saying that cannot prevail? But on this rock, and the whole time, do you know what they're staring at? This ginormous rock. Isn't that cool? And it's not that Peter is insignificant, he's a rock. In fact, when you get into the Ephesians passage, guess what you are? You're a rock. And we're all being built in, the, in, this, in this building called the church. And most of us have these sharp edges, which means the builder is going to shave that off. Why? So you can fit perfectly in the building. That's called sanctification. Some of you need more of it. (laughs) I do. (laughs) And the church is not being built on Peter. The church is being built on Christ, folks. And he is the foundation and the reality that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Hey, the enemy cannot prevail against that. The enemy is going to try, but he has no authority. He has no power. He has no ability. And our God is a rock. He's immovable. Folks that have been there for years, at least a couple, that hasn't changed. Why? He's immovable. In a little tiny cave, do you think that's intimidating to the the mountain? No. Why? Because it's just a little cave. It will not prevail. And then God says, do you know who I am? I'm a rock. Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Who is a God like our God? Who, who is a God who is like a rock in our lives? Well, no wonder Jesus says build your house, build your life upon something that's stable and immovable, that doesn't change. Why? Because that's who he is. So think about this here is Jesus, our rock which is our foundation, he is our strength, he's our immovability, he's our defense, he's our means of safety, he's our protection, and he's our refuge. Who's also the firstborn. Born as a lowly tecton, a stonemason or a craftsman. And it is this craftsman, and it is this architect, who literally built all of creation. Because in the very beginning, through that firstborn, that alpha and the omega, created the heavens and the earth. And isn't it beautiful that the creator, the architect of creation, was birthed into a lowly family from a backwoods town whose father just happened to be a tecton, so he grew up as a tecton, which he already was. Well, I don't know about you, but I just constantly stand in awe of who God is as I literally step back and see Jesus through the entirety of Scripture. Well, as a reminder, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, which includes a PDF download of the slides that I was sharing on the screen, as well as just an outline and an overview of this of this episode, you can download that by visiting deeperchristian.com/slash sixty one for episode number sixty one. Now, next time we're going to listen to part two of this message, so I hope you will join us. But until then, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.